Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Nikki Pellegrino's last book was called A Dream of Italy, and it was one of the hottest sellers of 2019. Now she's back with a new heart wrencher, Tiny Pieces of Us, it's called, combining her familiar themes of friendship, food, and romance, but this time underlined with a gritty story. Hi there, I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler, and in today's binge reading episode, Nikki talks about the new book, her new podcast, and the big life changes she's facing that are creating new opportunities. To celebrate the launch of Tiny Pieces of Us, we've got three digital copies to give away to three lucky readers. Enter the draw on our website, thejoysofbingereading.com, or on our Binge Reading Facebook page. The website also has links to Nikki's other books and the podcast if you want to catch up with that. While you're there, leave us a comment. We love to hear from you. But now here's Nikki. Hello there, Nikki, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me on. You're very, very welcome. Look, it's really worthwhile. We're we're coming back for a second time, but that's fully justified because there's been a heap happening in your life. You've got another new book out, you've started a podcast, and there's also lots of other life changes going on. It seemed like a very good time to revisit what you're up to. It does feel like a lot has happened. I think many people feel like that with the COVID-19 outbreak and the way it sort of changed all our lives. So yes, it feels like there have been a lot of changes and there are probably quite a lot more ahead for me too. Yeah, yeah. Look, your latest book, we'll get to that first. It's your 12th, Tiny Pieces of Us. And its launch was somewhat disrupted by this pandemic, wasn't it? Tell us what happened. So it was meant to come out right in the middle of level four on March the 30th. And we were going to have a big fancy launch and I was going to go to lots of book festivals and I was very excited. And of course, my diary is a mass of crossings out. None of that happened and the launch was postponed. So we've now, it's sort of moved around a bit, but we've now settled on June the 30th, the end of this month. And obviously there won't be the same big fancy launch and masses of festivals. But I am hoping that, you know, we'll be back to normal by then and all the shops will be back to normal and people will be able to go and at least buy the book. Perhaps I ought to interject here for those who aren't familiar with your work or haven't heard the first interview we did, because a lot of our listeners are in the States, that you're one of New Zealand's most popular romance and women fiction authors, a name in this country. Everybody's heard of Nikki. But this one, Tiny Pieces of Us, is deeply emotional. It's a slightly darker theme than some of your previous books, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I think with every, all my books have got the sort of theme of friendship and food and Italy. But with each one, I have tried to do something a little bit different with the structure. So, for instance, A Year at Hotel Gondola was a book within a book. So it might not have been visible to the naked eye, but with each one, I was trying to do something 
a little bit different and, and push myself on as a writer. With Tiny Pieces of Oz, it's a grittier story. It's about people who've had organ donations. So there's a lot of the same elements of my previous work there, but I think that it's um, certainly a much more emotional read and it's got more happens. And it was a much bigger research job for me. So it was, a, it was actually a very difficult book to write. I found it, the, you know, you sort of think it's your 12th book, you should be able to do it by now. With each book, I do find you are learning new things and taking on new challenges. And with this one, it, there were definitely moments where I thought, perhaps I've bitten off a little bit more than I can chew here. Yeah. What drew you? It is quite a heart-wrenching topic. We're not going to give away any plot spoilers, but it is a heart-wrenching book. Um, what drew you to, 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 to even attempt it? I was talking to a friend and she happened to mention that she had a nephew who had had a transplant and he was friends with all the people who had had organs from the same donor, so it was a deceased donor, and they had become incredibly important to each other. And I thought, gosh, that's so interesting because these people would be all very different. You know, they've had this one thing in common, which is a very serious illness, but they'd probably come from very different walks of life. And they'd have, you know, everything about them would be different, but you'd have this one thing that would bond you together. And I thought it was a fantastic idea for a novel to bring disparate people together and, you know, create a story around them. So I started to do a little bit of research into organ transplants. And when you read stories in newspapers about people who've had a heart or a lung transplant, they're quite one dimensional. They sort of, they will say, you know, it's been a miracle, life is marvellous, and you assume these people just go on to have normal lives. But in fact, it is a lifelong journey that it completely changes the way they live. They don't have the same life expectancy. Lung transplant people in particular, they might last, you know, five to 10 years. So it's, it's, it's much bigger journey than I had imagined. And I could see so much scope for a story and certainly once I started to talk to people who'd had transplants, I felt like there was, there was a lot that most of us who have not been in that position have no idea about that could all kind of bundle up into a super interesting piece of fiction. Yes, it's remarkable that it was based on a, a real group like that. Did you get a chance to talk to those particular people? I wanted to, but then I, I didn't pursue it very hard because I think as a novelist, your job is to make stuff up. And yeah. I'm also a journalist. And I didn't want to end up using too much of real life in my story. I felt that, you know, it would be a mistake to tell their story. And also, they were New Zealanders. And the situation here around um, organ donation is a little bit different. I've set my book in the UK. So it, it wasn't fully applicable. So yeah, so I didn't, I didn't, I just kind of held it in my head and thought, what an interesting situation. Yes, having, having read your book and not being so familiar with the New Zealand situation, in your book, they, in the UK, I gather donors, recipients are not really supposed to know who else has been given the same. If, if there's a multiple number of recipients, they're not necessarily encouraged at all to be able to talk to one another, are they? Is that different here? Well, here we have fewer transplant centres. So quite often, if you have a transplant, you will be in the same place as everybody else oh, having the okay, transplant. Yeah. From, But in the UK, there's obviously many more transplants done and they've got centres around the country. 
and there's very strict rules about contact, but it's becoming harder and harder for those to be managed because of social media and everything being, you know, online these days. So people do meet, and there's really good reasons for them not to meet. You know, there's a, it's a it's an odd relationship. It can create all sorts of problems, but often when they do, there's massive support around it. You know, there's 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 this kind of amazing bond that that people can have. So it's such an interesting subject. And in fact, I was incredibly lucky when I started doing the research. I contacted, you know, I talked to lots of doctors and transplant coordinators, but the people that were really amazing to talk to were the transplant recipients. And there were three main ones, a lung transplant recipient, a kidney transplant, and a heart transplant recipient in Christchurch called Heidi. My main character in Tiny Pieces of Us, Vivi, is a heart transplant recipient. So Heidi sort of became my go-to and I would email her all the time. I got to meet her. She has to come up to Green Lane Hospital where her transplant was done in Auckland quite often for checkups. So I got to meet her. She's a she's an incredibly strong person. The first time I met her, I just started the book and there were parallels between the character I had created and her, not in their in their situation at all, but in their determination to get on with life and not let anything hold them back. So she was fantastic. And actually, I'm about to send her a copy of the book and I'm really nervous because obviously it's not her story, but I'd hate her to read it and think, how could I have told her all that stuff and she's got this wrong and that wrong? So fingers crossed that Heidi likes it. I couldn't have written that book without her. And you know, I'm completely walking in other people's shoes here. I have not had any massive bouts of ill health in my own life so far, thank goodness. So those people and their stories and their generosity and sharing them were, were just utterly vital to me. I could never have even begun to tell this story without without their help. I wondered if there was something that really surprised you that you discovered during the research. What would be the most surprising thing that you learned during that research? Is there, is there one thing that stands out? I think just how careful they have to be because you can go into organ rejection at any time and you have to take all these drugs that, put, that you know suppress your immune system. So right now, for instance, with COVID-19, anybody that's had an organ transplant would have had to have been super careful and isolated themselves because they have got much, much lower immunity than the rest of us. And they can't eat a whole bunch of things. You know, there's no sushi. Well, you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to eat pre-prepared salads and things in cafes because there could be a food poisoning risk. So it impacts on their lives in lots of really small ways. And my books always have a lot of food in them. So I had to be a bit careful. At one point, my heart transplant recipient gets tempted to eat mozzarella and she probably shouldn't. So. <laughs> yes, that was news to me as well. And that is a lifelong thing, is it? Yeah, absolutely. They can. Mm. They always have to take these drugs. And not anyone can get an organ transplant. You, you have to be proven to be psychologically capable of dealing with it. And also, they want to know that you're going to look after your organs. So if you're going to smoke and drink and not exercise, then you're probably not going to get a donor organ. You know, there's big waiting lists. So, yeah. so all of that was, was a surprise to me. I had just imagined people would have their transplant, get better and, you know, carry on living exactly as I do. And it couldn't be further from the truth. 
And, and certainly I agree. I think that's the impression that we get from general daily journalism, that that's exactly what does happen. Bingo, life's just gone back to normal, yeah. Yeah, it's like a happy ever after story. And so for my character, Vivi, she has been had it drilled into her that she has to be careful and it's made her live. She's, she's in her late 20s, but she's living sort of life of a bit of a nana because she's so scared to take risks and to push herself. And she's particularly scared to take risks with relationships. And it is really the story of how she learns that even for her, life sometimes involves putting yourself out there. And, and so it's a love story, but it's also a, a story about friendship and and its importance. And I do take the readers to Italy because as you say, that's that's, I wanted to, I didn't want to write a book that was going to be so completely different to every novel that I have written so far that readers would, would be disappointed. You know how that happens sometimes? You'll read a book yeah. by an author and you'll be like, oh, this isn't what I wanted. It's not what I bought into. So and my last book, A Dream of Italy, it was a very happy book. It was, my, it was my book that I wrote when I was depressed about Donald Trump and I wanted to write a book to cheer myself up. So it was utter escapism and this is quite different to that so I am a little bit nervous about it going out into the world. Yes but as you say you kept your so-called winning formula of, of Italy and friendship and food as well it's, it's it is all there. Probably that's a good point to introduce when I spoke to you last time you were taking a food tour to Italy and of course that's been very badly crashed by what's happening internationally. It was something that I was really tempted to try and join I must say. So how far were your plans advanced and are you still hoping you might be able to do that sometime? We've postponed it to October 2021 so next year and we're hoping that we'll be able to go to Sicily then. So all the people who'd paid their deposits have just transferred through to next year, everybody seems really keen to go back to Italy. I guess at the moment, there is no real knowing what's going to happen with the international travel situation. But I would like to think that by spring next year, you know, that the end of next year, we'll be able to travel again and, and do it. Because I know that Italy was one of the first countries to be affected. And it was it was really emotional. I've got family and friends there. So it was really emotional for me. I feel very sad at the thought that I might not be able to go back there and see everyone for a long time. So I've got my fingers crossed that they're going to find effective treatments and vaccines and the world will open up to us again and we'll be able to travel. Yes, and have you still got spare places on that tour if people were interested? We do, yes. And if people want to go to my website, which is just www.nikkipellegrino.com, there's a page there where they can read about it and get in touch with me. Great. We'll make sure those links are, are all in the um, show notes for this episode. Turning away from your books and talking about your next new project, which is a podcast with your good friend and also a very well-known New Zealand author and journalist, Stacey Gregg. You've got a podcast going, Book Bubble. Tell us about that. Well, it was during lockdown I listened to quite a lot of podcasts um, because two weeks out from lockout, lockdown, I broke my leg. So I know, uh, quite badly, and I needed surgery. And so I couldn't really move very far. I was pretty much locked down to the sofa for four to five or six weeks, really. And I did lots of reading, obviously, but you don't always want to be reading. So I found myself getting really into podcasts. And at the same time, 
I was thinking about all the other authors like me whose launches had been disrupted. You know, some people's books had come out and were in the shops, but no one could, in, in New Zealand, books were considered non-essential, so no one could actually access them. And I feel like it has been a golden period, really, for popular fiction in New Zealand. There's been a couple of fantastic books that I read just before lockdown. So I started to think, well, is there something I could do to help fill the gap with no magazines and no festivals and so little coverage available for these people, particularly popular fiction, which struggles to get coverage? And then I started talking to Stacey Gregg, who's a children's author, and a really good friend. And I said, I'd really love to do a podcast. And she, I call her Hurricane Stacy now because if it had been up to me, it just would have been a bit of a dream. But Stacy made it happen. So I think we've done five episodes now. We're finally up on Apple as well as Stitcher and Podbean. And we get hosted by a website called Newsroom every week, which is great. Because I think, you know, as you will know, building an audience is the big, is the big task. Actually making a podcast has been a whole lot of fun, but getting it out there and getting it listened to is the challenge. But I've loved talking to other authors and it's been, you know, it's, I guess it's always fascinating to talk about the writing process a little bit and where ideas come from and where they are in their lives. So it just, we really just wanted to take people into the world of a bunch of writers. And so far it's been a really great experience. So that you're focusing on New Zealand writers, aren't you? And you've got quite a range. You don't just do popular fiction. I see you're planning to do some um, poets, well, a poet uh, sometime in the future. How have you selected the people that you're talking to? It was partly people that I felt had had a bit of a raw deal with book launches over COVID. So Charity Norman, who wrote a book called The Secrets of Strangers, and Olivia Hayfield, who wrote this fantastic book called Wife After Wife, which is a sort of, I call it a bonk buster. It's like Jilly Cooper for the for the modern era. And then Stacey has probably got more literary taste than me. So she's talking to Christine Lunens, who wrote the book Caging Skies that Jojo Rabbit was based on, and Tay Tibble, who's a young New Zealand poet, and Victor Roger, who writes who's the screenwriter so there's a there is a good mix and we we wanted to just focus on New Zealanders because I think it would be great to get some international attention for some of our New Zealand writers I feel like they don't get anywhere near enough attention and Elizabeth Knox who I spoke to her new novel The Absolute Book which is an epic fantasy that is coming out in the US and the UK so I I just feel like I want to I've reached a point in my career where I want to help support other writers Oh, that's lovely. You've got Nadine there as well, haven't you? Nalini Singh. Oh, so Nalini. Yeah. Yeah, So she writes paranormal romances, which I have to admit are not my thing as a reader. But she's written her first crime book. um, It's called A Madness of Sunshine. And it's great. It's set in the South Island on the West Coast. And it's kind of a brooding crime drama with a slight love story in it. So she was interesting because she kind of went off and wrote that in secret. And I guess because there's quite a lot of changes in my life at the moment, I'm interested in other people who are pivoting and doing new things. Yeah, that's right. Look, you mentioned about this being partly a compensation for, quotes, no magazines, and that refers to a wasteland that's happened in New Zealand in association with COVID. You were also doing a lot of freelance journalism, and that world has been hit by the disaster of many of the foremost New Zealand's magazines in New Zealand being closed by 
one international publishing house, we're still mourning and we're still hoping that some of these may come back in another form. But how are you coping with this? Have you recovered your equilibrium yet? Oh, it was, I was so sad. I was sad and angry. I think I'm kind of grieving the magazines because it was such a sudden thing. The doors shut. You know, a lot of people I like and admire lost their jobs. I have lost the lion's share of my income because books are not a great way to make a living. So I supported my writing by doing journalism, which I really enjoyed. So I was in a terrible fury and then very, very sad. And fortunately, I have just signed a new book deal with my publishers in the UK. So I did have a book to write and I put a lot of energy into that. And I am also kind of thinking, well, this is an opportunity in a way to do some stuff that I never had time for because writing not writing a novel a year and being a journalist was very demanding and there's all these th- ideas I've had in my head for stuff that I would really like to do but it's been impossible so I, I I've got an idea about turning one of my books into a tv series that would be set in New Zealand but I've never done any screenwriting so I'm about to start an online screenwriting course Um, which I'm really excited about. I've not done any formal study since I left university in the 1980s. So it will be challenging, but a good challenge. And I'm also thinking I might write some children's fiction. I've got some other ideas for for novels that are completely different to the sort of thing I'm currently writing. So I'm trying to be excited. I'm hoping some of those magazines, in particular, in particular The Listener and the New Zealand Women's Weekly, which are iconic magazines, they've both been around, as you know, mm. for yeah. a long, long time and have been p- part of people's lives. There's people who've bought those magazines who are you know, now in their 80s and they've been buying them since they, with, since they got their first job. So really hoping some of them will come back. But in the meantime, I think we, none of us can afford to just sit around and hope that life's going to go back to the way it used to be. We've got to adjust. So I'm doing my best to do some adjusting. Yeah, it's that thing of, it sounds Pollyanna-ish, but seeing a problem as a a challenge or opportunity, isn't it? An opportunity. And certainly sounds like you're doing that. Yeah. And I feel like one of the things in life that's really important is that to keep learning. So I have been doing the things I do for quite a long time. And I feel like it's a really positive thing that I'm going to go and do this course. Potentially, I will be terrible at it, Jenny. And (laughs) because it is a totally different skill, it involves a lot more structure than I probably work with. You know, I'm a real sit down and I've got an idea of what my book's going to be, but I I let the story happen a little bit as I write. And you can't afford to do that with 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 a screenplay. You've got to be quite structured and quite disciplined. So I think it's going to present me with some new challenges and it may be really good for my novel writing as well who knows that's exactly the thing I was thinking of I mean just as a little personal aside I did a course with John Truby I don't know if you know his work but he he gives advice to novelists online but he is basically a screenwriter and so the advice he gives a lot of it is very heavily influenced by screenwriting yeah and I think it does help with you thinking about various plot points, et cetera, in, in the novel that you might otherwise just sort of you know, skim over. So, yeah, it probably will be quite interesting for you. Look, it sounds like then 
the pandemic, maybe not quite directly the pandemic because the pandemic was blamed for this closure, but it, it was probably only part of the reason why the magazines closed. But has COVID changed your way of thinking in any significant way? Is it, I mean, maybe a bit too pat, but have there been life lessons learned? In a weird sort of way, I think I've learned the lesson that my character in Tiny Pieces of Us learns, that you can't live a safe, small life without any risks because the outside world is going to come in and change things for you. Yeah. So really, you might as well take those risks that you really want to take. And, you know, I'm risking failure, which you never really want to do. No one likes the idea of not being good at something. But you might as well do that because life is just going to come along and change stuff for you anyway. I never, ever, ever in my life expected something like the COVID lockdown to happen. I thought there might be wars. I thought that there might be disasters. But this was something that I never considered. So. So now I feel like, well, anything could happen. So we, I guess for me, it, I found level four very difficult, partly because of the broken leg and having, I've got elderly, frail parents in the UK and I don't know when I'll be able to see them again or that, you know, that they're going to be okay because things in, in England are still very, very seriously wrong. And so to try and create some positives and take charge of my life and make some changes became really important to me because I feel like we're all being buffeted by these things we can't control and we all need a little bit of control in our lives. Yeah. Look, just posing on that broken leg for a moment, I know you're a keen rider. It wasn't anything to do with horses that caused your broken leg, was it? No, that's the really hard thing. Because <laughs> I have fallen off a lot of horses and been completely fine, but I just fell off my own feet. I just slipped going down a slope and kind of fell and my ankle went under me. And yeah. um, I didn't yeah. even realise I'd broken it until the next day when I noticed it was, I had elephantitis. It was very sore. <laughs> so yeah, I do. <laughs> that has been another thing really of thinking, well, does this mean that I can no longer leave the house? You know, I can't be trusted not just to fall over and break myself. So that was quite hard too. I'm in my late fifties. I, I hadn't thought that I was going to start, you know, having falls and becoming incapacitated quite this early. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm certainly making an effort on, on the fitness front now. I'm building up my strength. I'm, I'm doing a lot of standing on one leg to build up my balance because I do not want to slip over and break anything else it's no fun I, I, I don't think you need to see it as a general trend hopefully it is an isolated incident <laughs> I hope so <laughs> yeah look turning to Nikki as reader because this is the joys of binge reading we do like to recommend books that people won't want to put down and you've been doing some reading obviously for this podcast what have you got on your bedside table at the moment and what would you recommend in the area of popular commercial fiction for people listening well I read a book it's not so much popular commercial fiction but it's a really great read in lockdown which is coming out in July and it's called Utopia Avenue and it's by David Mitchell have you come across it no it's a big book and it's about a rock band and it starts out in the 70s. And he is such a brilliant writer. I was just blown away by him. He makes these leaps and links that are incredible. Um, for popular fiction, 
because at the moment we're all interested in Black Lives Matter for very good reasons. When I was in the UK, my age, I said to my agent, what's selling at the moment? What's the popular book? And she said, oh, there's a book called Queenie by a writer called Candace Carty-Williams. And that's what everyone's buying in the UK this summer. Because I was just back there in February seeing my parents. And so I picked up a railway station. It's completely not aimed at someone my age. It's, it's sort of chiclet from the perspective of a young black girl in London. Uh, and I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. It's just fun and sad. She's got this, br- Candice Cardi Williams has got this talent for writing a sentence that makes you laugh and feel unbearably sad all at the same time. And it's just about a young, a young woman in London dating and having disasters, kind of like Bridget Jones's diary, except she has got being black thrown into the mix and the difficulties that that creates in her life and the way she gets treated. So for me, it opened up my eyes to how life for someone like Candace Carty Williams would be quite different than it would be for a, for a young white woman growing up. And I feel like at the moment, that kind of book, you know, it's not worthy. It's not dull. It's a fantastic read, but it's also an eye-opening read. So I definitely recommend that if people can get their hands on it. Right. Thank you. That's wonderful. Turning perhaps to now, you mentioned that there'd been a lot of changes and perhaps other things still to come. What's next for Nikki the writer? How is the rest of this year and possibly now rolling over into 2021 shaping up for you? Well, I, as well as doing Book Bubble podcast in lockdown, I got about a quarter of the way through the first draft of a new book, which hopefully will come out next year. And because world events were so grim, I wanted to write a sort of safe, small, happy book, I think, this time around, so not quite so gritty. I'm hopefully going to do the TV script, potentially do a children's book. I've got some ideas that I'm... So that's given me a fantastic excuse to go and read lots of children's books for research, which I'm enjoying. And I don't know longer term. At some point, I'm going to have to do something about an income. So I might have to get a job and try and juggle writing around a full-time job, which I did do. I edited New Zealand Women's Weekly and wrote a novel, but it's um, a challenge. It's not a lot of fun to work full time and try to wedge your writing into the evenings and the weekends and your holidays. So mm. it's it's a bit uncertain at the moment. I think a lot of people are in a similar situation, you know, of not really having any idea how their businesses or their jobs are going to work out long term. So I'm operating a policy of not looking too far into the future at the moment, Jenny, and I'm just going to focus on learning to be a screenwriter and writing this book and probably mid-year once I've finished the book, I will think about what I'm going to do next. And is that new book, the one that will come out next year, has that got a title yet? At the moment, it's called To Italy With Love. And I am returning to the town that I set a dream of Italy in. So that was the book that was out last year. And it was, that was the most pop, the best-selling New Zealand fiction book of 2019. So I obviously found lots of readers and they enjoyed it. So I'm returning to the same town, but it's not a sequel. I'm going to write it about different characters. And I'm going to little bit based on something a friend of mine did. She, I've got this friend, she has appeared in several guises in different novels because she lives a much more interesting life than I do. And I rang her during lockdown and said, can I steal a bit more of your life for a novel? And she has kindly agreed to let me. But I can't tell you anymore because it's too soon. 
Look, that's great. And I'd like just to add that that was the book that we talked about last year. I loved that book. Left a really warm feeling. And, and so it'll be really fun to know that there is a sequel. That's great. Yeah, well, and I'm enjoying writing it because, as I said, when times are tough, you sort of need to write escapist fiction, I think. There's nothing wrong with a bit of escapism. And that's really what I want to create. And I've got, I've had a lot of feedback during lockdown on social media from people saying, I read six of your books one after the other because I just needed to go to Italy and sit in the sunshine and eat nice food and, you know, just escape from what's going on. So I feel like I've provided an essential service. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. Look, Nikki, just so that people can find you, where are you found online? Where can they make contact with you? I'm on all the things, Jenny. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and my website. You can email me from that if, if you so wish. So I am very easy to find. Fantastic. And we will put all of those links in the show notes so that everything we've talked about here today, people will be able to find easily online. That's fantastic. Thanks so much. Sounds to me like you are having a very interesting life, Nikki. I don't think you need to be worried about that. (laughs) Thanks, Jenny. It's been really good fun talking to you. Lovely. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, services at gmail.com. Or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right, and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.